Lizzie O'Shea, thanks so much for joining us. You wrote an article for Eureka Street that ought to trouble anyone concerned about the expanding power of the surveillance state in this country, as well as the grotesque hypocrisies that lie at the heart of the Australian political class. I wanted to start with what Witness K actually did back in 2004. Explain to our listeners, first of all, who Witness K is and talk us through what it is he did, which is now the subject of criminal prosecution. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, We don't know the identity of Witness K uh, and he's using a pseudonym for reasons that will become clear as I speak later on. But we know that he's a former officer of the Australian Secret Intelligence Service or ACES, which is like the foreign version of ASIO. So they do our intelligence work overseas. What we know is that during negotiations around an agreement to uh, deal with the resources in the sea between Australia and East Timor that took place in 2004, the Australian government uh, installed a listening device in the offices of the East Timorese cabinet. And that was done under the cover of an aid program. So fake aid workers went in and installed these devices. uh, And then subsequently, Australia had an unfair advantage throughout the negotiations by knowing what the East Timorese cabinet were discussing, without, of course, the East Timorese knowing themselves. So Witness K knew about this, and then he became quite concerned when uh, after the agreement was finalised um, or the, the negotiations were finalised, I should say, um, uh, the foreign minister at the time who subsequently ended his political career, Alexander Downer, went on to work for Woodside Petroleum. And that was of grave concern to Witness K because he knew that Woodside Petroleum were going to be a key beneficiary of uh, any exploitation of resources in the East Timor, in the Timor Sea between East Timor and Australia. So Witness K was quite concerned about this and uh, disclosed this to his supervisor and and, uh, received approval to speak with an external lawyer about this issue to ascertain whether there was some cause for concern, which he did. So he was doing it with approval and uh, passed through all the necessary procedures to do so. What then happened, of course, was that um, this misconduct became a subject of interest the East Timorese when they were contesting the agreement that they uh, were dealing with with Australia later in The Hague in the International Court of Arbitration. And so the evidence of Witness K became very interesting for the purposes of that proceeding, which alleged that the agreement between East Timor and Australia was unfair. You make the point in your article that the prosecution of Witness K and his lawyer Bernard Collery is breathtakingly hypocritical, given they exposed brazen interference in the democratic institutions of a foreign country. In comically exquisite timing, in the very same week Attorney General Christian Porter signed off on criminal charges against Collery and Witness K, he championed the passage of legislation outlawing foreign interference in Australia. Porter called them, quote, strong new laws against those who seek to undermine our national security and our democratic institutions and processes. What does it say about our political and media culture that such hypocrisy goes virtually unnoticed? I think it's kind of unbelievable, really, because what we all know now is that what Australia did in East Timor was illegal and that, in fact, now what the effect of these criminal proceedings will be is to try and cover this up rather than have a proper reckoning with it. Um, East Timor is... East Timor's resources minister said in 2015 that if if he was to do something similar in Canberra uh, to what the Australians did in East Timor, he'd be behind bars for a long time. And he's been proven right because the passage of the foreign interference laws would make that true. Uh, If he did do something that Australia did in East Timor in Australia, he would be put in prison. 
Uh, and so I do think it's incredibly hypocritical uh, that Australia likes to say that it's against foreign interference in its own political affairs. But when it comes to a small fledgling nation like East Timor that deserves and needs all the help it can get to get its people um, out of poverty and, uh, and to be able to you know, live their fullest lives, we, instead of helping them, in fact, do what we condemn, interfere in their political processes for our own commercial gain. And the other issue that's simmering under the surface here is what is the role of foreign companies in the intelligence agenda of the Australian government and the relationship between Alexander Downer as an advisor for Woodside after he left office and the fact that Woodside had such an important gain to be made from the exploitation of resources in the Timor Sea, to me, it's deeply troubling. We need to know more about this. We don't need to have these matters covered up and um, to create a disincentive from people talking about it, quite the opposite. You're currently at work on a book which will explore the intersection between politics, technology and history. Clearly, one of the great questions of our time is the rise of the surveillance state. Many listeners may perhaps be unaware that it's not just the power of the National Security Agency and the CIA that is growing at an alarming rate. In Australia, we've seen, for instance, the integration of various policing and surveillance functions under Peter Dutton's Super Ministry of Home Affairs, including a proposal for a nationally coordinated facial recognition database, which we covered on the show some weeks ago. It's striking how little attention is paid to these developments, it seems to me, both by the media and the public at large. Why should we be concerned? I think everybody should be concerned about the power of the surveillance state. When we see somebody like Witness K and his lawyer being prosecuted, what that represents in my mind is a shift in power towards the surveillance state, towards making sure that things that they do that aren't uh, right or that are unsavoury are also going to be covered up rather than dealt with in an open format. So essentially shifting the power of the surveillance state away from democratic control and accountability. So it's a great cause of alarm. What I think is also interesting is how much cooperation we have with industry uh, and the role that industry plays, both um, like in East Timor, the role that uh, resources companies play in uh, the intelligence agenda of Australia abroad, but also um, companies that do the work of intelligence agencies and help um, outsource uh, the functions of it. And I think there is a huge history of cooperation between corporations and government to surveil uh, everyday people and the populations in democracies. And that's one of the things that I look at in my book, actually, the history of the police, where the first police force began, which was actually on the docks in London, to supervise workers who were unloading uh, materials off ships coming into London. So it was partly an effort to make sure that workers weren't stealing, so to speak, material from their employers uh, off the boats. And so it's a, it's an, it's very germination of the police force is a cooperation between companies trying to make as much money as possible and the, the threat and the actual practice of violence by the state. And I think that's something we need to think about really carefully, how these two things intersect and, and think more about it, how it exists in a modern context, because I think that historic history is relevant to how we see it expressed today. According to a report in the Sydney Morning Herald, Collery has been served with a notice under a 2004 counter-terrorism law that limits what he can say publicly about the case. Such a development confirms what civil liberties activists and the left warned about at the time those laws were passed, that they would be used to enhance the power of the carceral and surveillance state using the catch-all pretext of terrorism. We're also seeing a crackdown on whistleblowers and indeed anyone speaking publicly about the nefarious activities of Australia's intelligence services. 
To what extent might these prosecutions set a dangerous precedent, perhaps even open the prosecutorial floodgates, making such cases normal fare in the Australian court system? I think we should be very concerned about that happening. Partly, I think the laws that are on the books are far too broad. So if you look up Section 39 of the Intelligence Services Act, which is the uh, relevant section for Witness K and his lawyer, uh, and it's not even a direct contravention that's alleged so far. It's a conspiracy to breach that section, and it's revealing any information about ISIS or its operations. It's, It's drafted in very general terms. And this is not the only law on the books that's like that. There's lots of them. There's all sorts of ways in which ASIO operations, for example, can do something unlawful and then it be prohibited from having anybody talk about it. And this is hugely alarming. These laws are far too broad. We need more public interest exceptions, for example. Um, I think that Section 39 of the Intelligence Services Act should be reviewed and that we should have some element of public interest imported into it so that somebody disclosing information that, that reveals genuine wrongdoing, which is exactly what's happened in the Witness K case, will be protected. Um, And until we start advocating hard for those kinds of uh, protections for people who come forward, I think we are going to see more of these prosecutions, more of this heavy-handed approach to silencing uh, people talking about wrongdoing. And it means that it's just a green light for um, misconduct in intelligence services. If they know they're not going to be held accountable, there's very little incentive to make sure you comply with the rules. We need sunshine as a form of disinfectant to be able to see what these people do in in our name as a nation and to make sure that they're held accountable for it. Um, Because unless they do, I'm very concerned about uh, whether these agencies will continue and and do more of this kind of wrongdoing we've seen in East Timor.